Jim, this is Andrea Todd's Food Mart. Listen, there's a guy down here by the name of Angel Martin who's charged $110 worth of groceries to your account. Is that okay with you? Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidia Ravishaw. And we are coming to you from the halcyon days of the fifth season of mm-hmm. The Rockford Files um, with season five, episode 20, or possibly episode 22, depending on how it is noted in various online databases. Yes. <laughs> a different drummer. Uh, yeah, this is a. Uh... We're closing out Jesse Wells here. We mm-hmm. discovered that she did three episodes when we did her second episode, our last episode. Right. If you follow that. We just saw her in Roundabout, uh, which was our episode 96. Mm-hmm. So that was her first Rockford appearance chronologically. And then she was in uh, the, I believe, the second seasons, Two into 556 Won't Go, which we did in our episode 15. Wow. Way back in August of 2017. Yes. Um, but yeah, we, we talked about her a little bit in, um, in Roundabout. She's, she's a fun presence on screen. Yes. And we're like, you know what? Let's go ahead and do the last one. So that brings <laughs> us to a different drummer, which is, which like Roundabout, which was the last episode in season one, is in fact the last episode of season five. Oh. A synchronicity there as well. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. Should we talk about Jesse Wells for a second? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. I think maybe we can talk about her characterization on the show when we get into it. Yeah. Uh, but... I only know her really from the Rockford Files. She was on some other TV shows. She also famously was mm-hmm. a a voice uh, actor for Ralph Bakshi movies, in particular. <laughs> yes, uh, we remarked last time about how she was in Wizards, which is uh, an epi favorite. Right. I don't think I I've mean, ever seen Wizards. I got to be careful. Uh, I can't really say that a Ralph Bakshi film is is a favorite. <laughs> they are problematic. With that pause and everything. Uh, but um, it is one that I remember from my youth uh, fondly and uh, her character, Eleanor. She was also in uh, the Bakshi movies Coonskin and Hey, Good Looking, which mm-hmm. honestly track with track with your description. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. from title alone. But yeah, you know, I try to do a little bit of uh, get a little bit more context for her um, per her brief biography that's available online. She acted through the 80s and then uh, retired from acting and became a visual artist. Oh, everything that I could find about her actual art is on a website that has since died or <laughs> come off the <laughs> Internet since you, since oh. it was referenced in anything. Um, there is a, a line that says that her art style consists of mixed media with old photos drawn with balloons or vibrant colors. And I guess one of her thing or one of her things was that she would use found photos and enlarge them and then do compositions yeah. over them, which sounds interesting. I see a couple images of them here. Mm-hmm. They're they're quite nice. They they look like overcolorized black and white. Honestly, it super fits the personality of her character. <laughs> of her character in this particular episode? Yeah. The other fun uh little trivia bit is that her, she married the uh and and then actor now producer uh named Stephen Nathan um who originated Jesus in Godspell. <laughs> uh he is now the executive producer of Bones. So things seem to be going well. 
I guess in order to do any more actual work on this, I would have to watch her in other movies or watch her in, in other right. that are not in the Rockford files, which I did not have time to do um, to get more, you know, more understanding of her general kind of screen presence and, and stuff like that. But in the Rockford files, she tends to play these kind of by tends to as, as evidenced by our three examples. Um, mm-hmm. She plays these kind of slightly off kilter characters. Yeah. And she has a very bubbly presence that is modulated in different ways in these different episodes. It's definitely not the same character in each episode. I'm going to, I'm going to send you, I, I, this doesn't help with the, with podcasting at all, but uh, <laughs> uh, it looks like that was just recently uploaded to something, but that's a piece of her art. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very something I would expect 100% from this character. <laughs> yes. Very bright, very bright indeed. Yeah, like I mean, she had a website, but it 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 seems to have gone down. Um, I was able to look up some stuff in the Wayback Machine, but it doesn't have any images because they're you know sites that have since stopped being being actively hosted. So sometimes that's how it goes. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed her in this one. I've enjoyed her in the other ones. I, I don't even know. It's not oftentimes we we talk about guest stars and the chemistry that they have with James Garner, mm-hmm. um, but like she just has a very. Uh, a great stage personality right mm-hmm. like just mm-hmm. comes yeah. through she has good chemistry with uh with garner and also her her roles in these episodes aren't romantic yeah um into into 556 don't go i think there's might have been a little bit of it. there's a little bit of it it's been a while since i i know seen. right <laughs> but if i remember right there's a there's actually a a, a moment that kind of like punctures that balloon or something mm-hmm. like there's there's something where that's actually played on a little bit um that uh and that she's she's the daughter of a uh army general or general something, or something yeah. that is murdered i think and was jim's commander and so she goes to jim so she's like yeah. younger and has this whole conception of the army and her father that jim kind of like yeah does not have yeah comes into <laughs> conflict with um in in roundabout she's this singer who's been drawn into this mob laundering front and really is only really just wants what's best for her mm-hmm. and just kind of wants what was promised her and then ends up having she keeps on diving into these situations that jim's like you're not gonna like how this turns out yeah but also you have n- i have no leverage here <laughs> you have no reason to listen to me i've done your you- decision right um and then in this one as we'll see she i feel like he he ends up feeling uh not responsible necessarily but like feeling like she like feeling like he needs to keep her from a certain fate right but her character is positioned such that i don't see any way that they would end up having a romantic relationship one of the things about the character in this is uh uh, so she's not a central she's a i shouldn't say not a central character she's not a client Jim doesn't have a client in this one, which is a, a thing we'll talk about. I think I, mm-hmm. I really kind of enjoy. Um, whereas in the previous two, the first one, she was a client. The second mm-hmm. one, she was very reluctantly a client. Right. She was kind of a client by circumstance. Yeah. And in this one, um, she is caught up in the circle of what Jim's investigating, but she's not, she's an innocent caught up in the circle. Mm-hmm. And therefore Jim, Jim worries about Jim, the Jim wants to protect her. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's not even the central motivating force of what's going on in Jim's life. And I'm really enjoying, I really enjoy the, uh, it's, it's hard to characterize as verbal sparring. Mm-hmm. There is a little, 
antagonistic something going on between him and her, but it's mainly... It's mainly from him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll get into it. We'll yeah, get yeah, into yeah. it. But I, I think it's well done. Mm-hmm. The director of this one is Reza Badi. Um, this is the last of his seven Rockford Files episodes chronologically after this we have two more of his to go in our chronology in our chronology yeah um we last talked about him in the becker connection which is our episode right. 94 uh and the, the the log line on him is that he is extremely prolific <laughs> <laughs> yeah this episode is written by rudolph borchert i believe i'm pronouncing that uh correctly who who has um five rockford files credits two teleplays including the teleplay for the finale and he wrote a good clean bust with sequel rights um, oh which was our episode yeah. 80 and was earlier in season five and um started his uh a tv career with kolchak the night stalker did a bunch of chips uh and other shows and i think i said this in in that episode there's very little about him online <laughs> <laughs> he wrote some tv yeah he did certainly quite a bit of uh yeah started with night stalker that's kind of nice um someday i'm gonna rewatch. i say rewatch. i think i've seen like three of them i was gifted some kolchak movies that mm-hmm. i need to watch i haven't done yet i'm unclear if they are tv movies or if they were like epi- like or if they're like longer episodes that are packaged into movies i'll find out when i watch them <laughs> Yeah, I uh, appreciate um, a writer who's done a lot of, particularly genre television. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of detective stuff. Yeah. Which is a little funny because this is not a very detective-y episode. <laughs> no, okay, so we'll get into this a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But this episode, for me, um, was definitely, it was 100% a Rockford Files episode. Felt Rockford Files-y. But the premise and not the pacing, but like some of the turns and things were horror filmy i was thinking before we started recording i should say epi in what ways is this episode a horror film i found as i was taking my notes and i'll I'll point them out as we get to Mm. them i would write a note down and then be like no epi you've seen too many horror films (laughs) and i I would be only a little bit off like so basically it would hit something akin to a horror film trope and you would expect it to go one way in a horror film, but it's a Rockford Files episode, so it goes mm-hmm. the other way. Yeah, the nature of this particular story yeah. lends itself to being a horror story. So, which gets us to, there. there is a, a bit of a content note, I think, for this yeah. one. It is uh, dealing with organ transplantation, uh, not on screen, but it is kind of a medical horror premise. Right. Sort of uncharacteristic of the Rockford Files, there is a scene in it where we are witness to a murder uh, in the very beginning, and uh, it is a surgical murder. Well, arguably, right? right arguably. But it... We are witness to to some on-screen medical... It's not graphic, I think, this, uh, yeah. but it is, like, it, if this is a thing that squigs you out, then this... Yeah, we will be talking about some medical yeah. stuff and, like, transplants and stuff like that and what happens to dead bodies. Yeah. And then the other thing is that there is definitely some un- uncharitable terms for various mental illnesses. Yes. That I don't know if we need to get into. They're not actually that important, but... Yeah, it's there. It uh, uses some terms we probably wouldn't use today. And I think that all gets us into our very brief and fairly un- uninformative preview montage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, here are the things that stood out to me. And it's almost exactly the things that uh, that we just went over 
<laughs> he starts off by asking if they do organ transplants in the hospital. And I will be honest with you. I thought that was a joke. <laughs> I thought like, oh, Rockford's in the hospital and he's just asking if he can get a whole new body, like mm-hmm. a tune-up or something. Because, you know, he's getting to be old. And, it, you know, this is when James Gardner himself's knee is, is, is having trouble. And it's actually uh, a, a, an important part, of, especially the earlier part of the episode. Um, and then we do see someone on the operating table and we see their hand move while they're on the operating table, which I got it. That hits a special area in the back of my brain mm-hmm. that, that is like, that freaks me out. Yep. I am of the type of person that because it freaks me out, I want to watch more. Mm-hmm. So they caught me there. They got mm-hmm. me into it. But anyways, there's that. Then we cut to our other content warning. Where we have this back and forth between uh, Rockford and Dennis about uh, somebody at a, a VA hospital, we find out later. Mm. He's like, a doctor? No, a patient. An inmate? No, a trustee? Mm. And then a, a slur. And then Jim falls out of a car. Yeah. There's, we see Jim falling out of a speeding car, which is, I again, I'm in. I want to see how we get there, why we got there, mm. what, what have you. And then the other point, and this is the thing, no Jesse Wales at all. Right. I, I had that thought, too. I was like, and this is only because we're coming to this right. episode. It's like, all right, we're going to watch the last Jesse Wells episode. And then she's not actually the co-star like she right. was in the other ones. <laughs> she's like the secondary co-star. She's in the credits. She's, yeah, you know, but yeah, we don't see her till like halfway through the episode um, almost, which is, uh, you know, a, a bit of a disappointment off the off the jump <laughs> is all. Uh, but they did follow it up with an amazing answer machine. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, you you heard it at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. But uh, the only angel appearance in this episode is that he apparently charged $110 worth of groceries to Jim's account. Uh, it's a lot of groceries. I, th- I mean, our rule of thumb here is uh, multiply that by five to get roughly today's dollar. He's having a big party. Yeah. Did you know that we are a 100% listener-supported show? Our patrons at patreon.com slash 200 a day keep us in the podcast business and in return receive exclusive episode previews as well as plus expenses a bonus podcast where we casually chat about media we're enjoying and the things going on in our lives we extend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode dale norwood wrote a book trading freedom how trade with china defined early america is about fast ships cheap drugs and american political economy published by the university of chicago press find it wherever good books are sold chuck from whatyoureading.com paul townend who recommends fruit loops serial killers of color at fruitloopspod.com shane liebling check out rollforyear.party for all of your online dice rolling needs jay adon showcasing his amazing miniature painting skills at jayadon.com Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Hawley, Matthew Lee, and Jay Thompson. And finally, a very special thanks to our detective-level patrons for their generous support. Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. If you're interested in keeping us going for as little as $1 an episode, check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you well we start off our episode with some great banjo in the yes. soundtrack uh, <laughs> as the credits roll and we see jim driving rocky's truck down a, a country road um i noticed both that there is a 10 mile per hour sign 
And that when Jim pulls up to the stop sign, he's not wearing a seatbelt, as I'm always on seatbelt watch. Oh, yeah. This is relevant, however. Yes. Suddenly a yellow pickup truck shoots down the road, swerves to avoid an oncoming car, and just rear-ends Rocky's truck. Um, <laughs> we have a, a, a nice... <laughs> A nice cut um, to show the rear ending from like a long shot. And there is clearly no one in the cab when this <laughs> when this is done, <laughs> which I appreciated from a health and safety standpoint. But, yeah, uh, the, it, it was a little funny to me just that the uh, the shot was such that it was like, yeah, there's clearly no one in that in that right this moment, um, which is good that no one was actually in the truck when it was actually actually rear ended, because when we get back to Jim after the cops have arrived quickly on the scene. The window's all spiderwebbed where he hit it with his head and he has blood yeah. on his forehead and he's been knocked out by this impact. My my notes here are, oh no, Rocky's truck. I know. Oh no, Rocky's boy. <laughs> <laughs> I quickly start referring to these guys as the two yahoos in my yeah. notes. Um, we have these two yahoos in the, the yellow truck. Uh, the driver is, I forget his name. I guess I could look it up, but he's he's a stunt driver. Yeah, Dave Cass or Davey Cass. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was a, he was a stunt driver and a stunt coordinator, and so this is kind of a gag casting. Uh, he's the nice. driver this of, <laughs> of this uh, this car that, that that's hitting other cars. Um, but these are two guys. They're drunk. They're they're hooting and hollering. They're later referred to as the lumps at yeah. some point. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's, that's good. a good one. Uh, but the the cops who respond to this accident uh, clearly see what's happened. And one of them says, "Bring the balloons. We got a couple of deuces here." <laughs> Uh, we cut to the hospital where Jim is in in a uh, is in triage. He's filling out paperwork, and this entire sequence is extremely yellow. Yes, <laughs> and I guess this is kind of what I I mentioned earlier that there's this real visual difference between this this episode at the end of season five and the episode we just did at the end of season one. Mm-hmm. That episode also had a lot of yellow, but it was like bright, contrasting, uh, energetic yellow. And then yeah. all the all the yellow in this sequence, it's it's institutional. It's in this hospital. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's very depressing. Depressing. Yeah, it's a lot of depressing yellow. And I guess there's part of me that's like, that yeah, seems like the difference between 74 and 79. <laughs> put put shots of these next to each other with yeah. the same characters, like same actors playing, you know. <laughs> And just their surroundings, you would see that these are two different t- snapshots of time. It's a, it's like the the Twitter meme where you have one that just says 2019 and then the other <laughs> one says 2021. Uh-huh. Um, so we get the, the kind of uh, drama that is to come with these guys that hit Jim. Um, they... Uh, they're refusing to take breathalyzers. Um, they're all patched up. So the cop comes back with them and they have like bandages and stuff. And Jim still has like blood on his forehead and hasn't been seen yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're handcuffed together and the cops telling them that it, they don't have to take the breathalyzer, but that's an automatic six month license suspension and jail time. Mm-hmm. He's going to talk to the doctor, see if they can go down to County to get them processed, etc. So they're left alone with Jim and they start threatening him. <laughs> What my friend here is trying to say is you dummy up or you start collecting lead for the recycling center. Officer, these two dribblers just threatened my life. Sir, I'll send my partner back to take a full report later. Right now, these gentlemen have a date with the county. Um, He is very unimpressed by their threats. So Jim clearly needs medical attention, but he wants to get to a phone. He wants to make a phone call because he's supposed to be taking the truck to Rocky and Rocky's going to yes. worry. The business with the phone call here is fun. They're, they're, we have this back and forth 
I think it might even still be the same nurse each time uh, mm-hmm. that comes to talk to him uh, is focused. I, I was I was just about to say she, she's focused on making sure that, that she's taking care of his injuries, but it's not even that. It's like, <laughs> that's her job. He's her job. She's just trying to get her job done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, he's She's just there to manage him. Like, yeah. It's not really about caring for him. It's like, yeah, exactly. fill out the paperwork, get the signature. All right, take your shot. <laughs> <laughs> and and he just he just wants to get make that phone call. He's just mm-hmm. yeah. To where once she leaves him alone after giving him his uh, his his shot of pain pain meds, he stumbles out of his gurney to go find a phone. Yes. Before before he got the shot, he was alone in the hall and he overheard a conversation, you know, spilling out from another room. Which is there's a doctor. He's talking to this bereaved couple. Um, their son is dead. There's, you know, there's nothing they could do. His injuries were too severe, et cetera. But he wants them to authorize a corneal transplant. Um, mm-hmm. It is a very important kind of operation and it has to happen as soon as possible. No, they don't have time to think about it. You know, are you willing to sign these papers? And so he talks these, as I said, these bereaved parents into signing this uh, transplant order. So Jim overhears all of this and we see it happen behind him. And then the nurse comes back, more business with the nurse. Nurse leaves. Jim stumbles out of his gurney to go find a phone and he looks into the room where this same doctor is already doing this operation. And we get the scene from the preview montage of the the hand that's that's kind of fallen off the off the table yeah. and is in plain sight and the fingers are moving as the doc is doing whatever he's he's doing up up top. Then we have uh, the, the camera starts swimming in and out of focus yes. as another uh, an orderly or someone sees Jim and, and takes him away to, to rest waiting for his doctor. And we get the swimmy, swimmy camera and we <laughs> come back with uh, Jim in bed and Rocky at his bedside. Uh, a couple of things that are, I think, left up to the viewer to decide here. <laughs> right. One, is Jim's finely tuned sense of a hustle like pinging when he sees this guy talking to these parents this is going to be the setup for the sh- for the episode right like right. there's this he witnessed this guy somewhat pressure them into no he pressured them he pressured them into signing the release uh it wasn't like super overt pressure but there was this time pressure thing that mm-hmm. that, that was there and jim witnessed it so the, like one thing that is like is this jim like wait this feels like a con this mm-hmm. feels like a hustle this feels like you know that and he's and we're paying attention to that because of that or is it just that this is the only interesting thing going on that jim has pri- privy to <laughs> right now in this hallway and we're just happening to overhear it and it doesn't matter one way or the other i think for the episode but i think it's a, a fun thing to concern because that yeah. like it was just a if i remember how it's framed it, it it feels like what we're doing is we're sitting with jim as he overhears a thing that's happening but he's not necessarily paying attention to it yeah like, okay. we don't see him turn to look at them or anything right yeah but we do have jim's like jim has a better memory than i do right 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 well, so he just picks up on those details and yeah so yeah i think what we kind of get is that he he fixates on seeing these these fingers move mm-hmm. like he can't get that out of his head as we'll see yeah and then as he goes down the path of what does that mean he then uses this recalled conversation to fill in some context for what he thinks might be going on yeah but i don't think he's paying attention to the conversation first i think yeah like you say i think it's his memory of it that you know yeah. just because he's he's because he's our main character he remembers the important things <laughs> 
And then the other bit that uh, probably isn't, um, again, isn't necessarily important, but we have this, the, the fingers moving on the table uh, or, or the patient's fingers moving. We're going to get expert opinions during this show saying that that's not unusual. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and in the beginning, well, because we're watching a rock for files episode and we know that Jim's going to get into this. Uh, I took that as a conspiracy mm-hmm. yeah. to gaslight Jim. Uh, by the end of the episode, I have a different opinion of it. Mm-hmm. I guess when we go further, we'll talk a little bit more about like what's actually yeah, yeah. seen. Yeah, I, I feel like I had a similar progression. Um, but uh, as we say, we'll get into it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the the uh, what Jim comes back to is Rocky. Been there for a few <laughs> hours. Uh, Jim's been recovering from a concussion from this accident. Um, we have a whole thing about Jim asking oh, yeah. about the truck. <laughs> Rocky says, "Oh, well, there's just a little bit of damage. There's some, there's some dents in the back of the cab to get out." Jim's like, "What do you mean the back of the cab?" <laughs> and I guess there were some concrete blocks that he had in the bed <laughs> that he meant for a planter, and they flew forward. But it's okay; it's not that bad. And they had to replace the window, but you know, easier to replace truck parts than parts in his son, which yeah. is which is great. And Rocky does a really good job of pretending like he's not mad about the truck. <laughs> For now. Yeah. There's a complexity to the scene that I really enjoy. I shouldn't say complexity. It's layered, but it's layered in a very simple and transparent way that's great for us. Like, mm-hmm. Jim's concerned about the truck. Rocky's like, no, I'm more concerned about you. Jim's still concerned about the truck. Rocky's more. And then as this plays out, we'll get to it. But, like, uh, Rocky is really rattled by what happened. And that's going to come out in his anger <laughs> about the truck. Right. When it's really actually about Jim. And I love that, like, it's just, it, like I said, it's layered. It's all hidden behind things, but it's not really hidden. We as the audience, actually, we we can see it. It's mm. it, um, it's good stuff. Jim tells Rocky about the weird thing he saw. Yeah. Uh, Rocky kind of doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> like hospitals. He just wants to get out of there. Jim's doctor comes in and, you know, gives gives him the, the roundup of his condition. Um but tells him he can basically go whenever. This is when Jim asks him if they do organ transplants in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And he again tells him about seeing the fingers move of this this patient, I guess, this cadaver, presumed cadaver. Uh, and this doctor also kind of laughs him off and is like, oh, that just happens. <laughs> or like, you don't know what you saw or something. And I think like you, I'm like, oh, is there like a conspiracy here? Right. Yeah. Jim wants to ask more questions, but Rocky hits his breaking point. Yes. <laughs> Come on, let's get going. Dad, I plainly saw... I don't care what you saw. Now, I know you, Sonny. These folks here are good people here, and they're trying to do good for a lot of people. But you, you go getting suspicious. You get your back up, and then pretty soon you're trying to solve a case where there ain't no case. Now, ain't it bad enough you wrecked my truck without trying to wreck the whole medical profession? One thing I I love about Rocky is just how how he loves his institutions he loves institutions he's like he's like this is a hospital they would never do anything underhanded at a hospital do you understand it's a hospital yes oh so good i also like rocky's assumption that if jim asks too many questions he could wreck the medical profession Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i mean honestly what's happening here is that rocky's like don't don't ruin my trust in them. <laughs> right, right. And also don't make us spend any more time here than we absolutely have right. to. Right, yeah, yeah. 
Um, he continues asking this doctor about uh, the the transplant thing as they're getting wheeled out. And he finally gets the name of that doctor, Lee Yost. Jim's doctor explains that the patient, he was killed in a motorcycle accident and that it is not uncommon for nerves to cause slight movements in someone who's been dead for that short amount of time since he had, you know, basically just just come in from the accident. Yeah. Um, there was nothing improper that happened. And then he gets lectured by the nurse about if he only knew about what the Life Extension Foundation was doing. Yes. Oh, I again, like, to fit that gaslighting conspiracy thing, this mm-hmm. nurse feels nurse ratchety. She feels yeah. very, like, we, we don't have a warm feeling about her. And uh, now she's lecturing him about how great this, it seems to be pointing in that direction. Also, and I cannot let this go. I need to comment on this. It cannot pass without comment. This doctor's eyebrows are so <laughs> wizardly. <laughs> Uh-huh. They might even each be their own wizard. Each eyebrow is its own wizard. They're extremely wizardly. I feel like this is probably someone that has been in other things. This is Walter Brook is the actor. I'm checking him now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got a 227 credits. Goes way back. Oh, it's some Westerns and stuff. Dude was in Bonanza. Oh, wow. He's got a lot of Rockford files. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure he's been in other op- episodes. Um. Okay, let's see. He was Germanian in just another Polish wedding. Okay. So that was that was the um that was the flower shop guy, right? I think so. Yes. He was a main guy in the Dark and Bloody Ground. I just don't remember um the plot of that one. Have we done um the Dog and Pony show? Yes, that's the Sakal the the um psychiatric group. One. Oh yeah. So this is a wrap on Walter Brook. This is. I'm realizing it as we look at this. <laughs> I think the Dark and Bloody Ground might be the one where he has the biggest role. Um, I think the NIA agent in the Dog and Pony show is uh, just like a one scene yeah. character. Dr. Bosca, we see now and we'll see him at the end of this episode. Germanian was the flower shop guy, I think. In mm. Yeah, I think you might be right. Uh, just another Polish wedding um, where Jim has, find, has to find out where someone's buried and he goes to the yeah. flower shop. Yeah, I feel like we talked about him in um in our uh, Malibu Madness. Yeah, yeah, because that was a really good uh, rolling con that Jim had to do in that one. Great character actor, eyebrows for days. Yes, <laughs> thank you for your service. Yes, Wal- Walter Brook. Well, thank you for mentioning his eyebrows. Yes, that's my my pleasure. Uh, yeah, but we get the name of the Life Extension Foundation, mm-hmm. and then a it's not really a joke; it is a transition in the cut um, where we cut to. Someone saying Life Extension Foundation. <laughs> uh, Jim is is on the phone with a woman at the State of California Franchise Tax Board, <laughs> and he's saying that he he needs a, he's filing a tax return and he needs to know if the Life Extension Foundation is a nonprofit or not. Um, he's on, she's like, why don't you just call them? Right. He's like, well, they're closed on Thursdays. <laughs> <laughs> Another familiar. This is someone who's been in uh, six. Yeah. Rockford Files episodes again. I don't think we're do we're we're closing her out yet. But uh, Fritzy Burr, yeah, what a name! What a name! She was in Three Ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that movie so much when I was a kid. Oh yeah, it does seem to be about your era. Yeah, that's definitely my my era. Yeah, her. Yeah, receptionist maid, county clerk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Um. 
We're close. She only has one more. Wait, did we do this? Did we do Nice Guys Finish Dead? Oh my god, look how old we are. We did. Episode 34, May 2018. <laughs> All right. So wait, we did Just By Accident? Yep. That was also fairly early, but... Okay. Um, that uh, is... A Bad Deal in the Valley we did. Six and Stones, Mayor's Committee. Yeah. yeah, we did. All right. So we are, in fact, also finishing out... <laughs> That's a wrap on... The Rare Double Finish... This is the last of our Fritzy Burr episodes. It's a triple finish, right? Jesse, Jesse Wells, <laughs> Fritzy Burr, and uh, Walter Brook. Wow. <laughs> Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we just go through IMDb. <laughs> Um, I did have to do a little looking up, looking up because we don't remember all of our episodes, but no. <laughs> she has been in Just By Accident, A Bad Deal in the Valley, Sticks and Stones May Break Your Bones, But Waterbury Will Bury You, The Mayor's Committee from Deerlick Falls, and Nice Guys Finished Dead, in addition to <laughs> this episode, A Different Drummer. And we have wow. done all of those episodes. This is just going to keep happening more and more now. <laughs> we, need, we need to not look up the casting and just... <laughs> Anyway, we've now spent too much time talking about this scene. Um, the the gag here is that Rocky lectures Jim about making prank phone calls while they're waiting for her to look this up. Yes, and makes a or tells a story about Jim making a Prince Albert in a can joke. So I, as established on our most recent plus expenses episode, I am younger than this show, <laughs> and I never understood the Prince Albert in a can joke mm-hmm. until watching this episode and having it explained to me in this episode like i know it as a reference but i never knew why it was a joke right i knew the joke i knew why it was a joke but what i didn't know was that it was tobacco do you have prince albert in a can prince albert is a tobacco company and it is not a california corporation well then let him out before he suffocates I had always assumed it was some brand of tuna fish that I'd never seen. And I have no idea why I assumed that, except that tuna was a thing that came in cans. I'd never heard the punchline. I didn't know that the punchline was, well, you better let him out. Oh, okay, yeah. Until the day before this recording, when I watched this episode. Because there's a lot of the, like, um, like, is your refrigerator running? You better catch it. You know, it's that vintage uh, of... The there's a bunch of those that I got introduced to before, like when I was a real little kid, before I understood the context or, or understood the construction of the joke. Uh-huh. Like it actually took me until much later that I realized, oh, OK, it's like the Beatles. It's like when you look at how the Beatles are spelled and you're like, oh, like a like the beat of a drum, mm-hmm. not how a beetle. Oh, it was that. Right. I, they just existed in my life for so long before I, I could understand that. I just didn't think to even consider that there was a reason why these were jokes. <laughs> to our younger listeners, people used to do this thing called prank call. Yes. Where you call someone oh on the telephone God, yeah. and it would be anonymous because it would be a landline. Anyway, um, our subject here, uh, Fritzy. Um, she's not given a character name in this episode, uh, comes back to the phone and says that the, uh, Life Extension Foundation is listed as a medical referral service, but it is not a nonprofit. And then Jim, after having all this banter with, with Rocky, then has a last question. Do you have Prince Albert in the can? Yes. 
And then he says, well, you better let him out and hangs up the phone. And I go, <laughs> that's the punchline. I get it now. Yes. yes. Uh, and Rocky tells him he's never going to grow up. <laughs> and then there's the fun little joke where he calls her a jerk. Yes. Right after he hangs up, he's like, jerk. And she's like, jerk. It was, yeah, it was very true to life. I was like, yep, yeah. I see how that interaction went down. Uh, but it was fun because, you know, here's Jim getting angry at Rocky and taking it out on this poor woman. <laughs> Who can take it? She, she, yeah. seems, she seems tough. Um, Jim then makes another fateful co- phone call where he calls to rent a car and then suddenly gunshots come shooting through the trailer from outside. Just <laughs> honestly terrifying. Especially because Rocky's there. Well, Rocky's like opened the fridge and then Jim yes. like dives and grabs him and pulls him down. So they're both on the floor and the fridge door is just swinging open. It's very dramatic. Mm-hmm. So the, the trailer gets shot up. And then as, as you know, after that calms down, he tells, tells Jim to go call Dennis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they have an exchange where it's like, well, you know, is it those guys from who caused your accident? And Jim says like, could be, but I've also been nosing around that Dr. Yost. When the f- shots first came, I, w- I my notes are like, oh, this must be the drunks, mm-hmm. the lumps, if you will. Mm-hmm. The yahoos. Um, the yahoos. One of my favorite exchanges in this year, though, is Rocky going, will you please call Dennis? And <laughs> Jim going, I will, Dad, as soon as I think I can get to that telephone without getting my head shut off. Like, <laughs> like I, know, I know there's a priority here, but just hold on. Just hold on. We cut to just a wonderful framing shot of the camera on the elevator as the doors open and Jim's just leaning casually in the elevator. I made a note of that too. I made a mental note to do that in elevators from here on out. <laughs> it is a powerful pose. It is big, uh, big Garner energy. Yeah. If anything ever was, <laughs> it's, it's so good. But he's at the office of the Life Extension Foundation. There's no answer to his knock on the door, but then Jesse Wells appears. There she is. She is the, so, okay. (laughs) A lot of the fun of the two of them is the dialogue. Um, Yeah. Not a lot happens, but it's very fun to watch. Yes. So the thrust of what we get here, Jim claims to be from a a medical magazine doing a feature on Dr. Yost, trying to to interview him and he keeps on missing him, etc. Jesse Wells is playing a character named Sorrel Henderson, and she is Mm -hmm. the secretary for the Life Extension Foundation. She's leaving the office now to get something for the doctor, but check back later to see if he's in. Um, We're just establishing this character. She is a real, I guess, space case? (laughs) Sure, yeah, that's, I think, a good way to put it. There's a a delightful disconnect between the two of them. Uh, Jim makes references that she doesn't get, and she makes references that Jim doesn't get, and they kind of pile on each other. Well, thank you, Miss Ms. Henderson. Well, my time is your time, and your time is my time. (laughs) Right. It's a lyric to a song. I forget who sings it, but I love it. Your time is my time, my time is your time. I just love it. I think it was Rudy Gernrich. Well, see ya. Check back later if you still want to see Lee about that newspaper article. It's a magazine. It's as if his charm is being foiled by the fact that she doesn't understand it. It's a great way to have her just completely baffle his his normal attempts to be this charming con that he's running, right? She 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 is an ambulatory Rockford deflection field. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's not out of malice, and it's not out of um, subterfuge. It's just her nature. Yeah, it's just her nature. And I do feel like some of what comes through in these scenes is a, a, a real joy of having been in the scene with this person. Like right. At the end of the scenes, the smile that Jim has on his face feels like a real, like, not a character smile, but like a real actor right. <laughs> smile. Like, right. like we just did that. <laughs> that was hilarious. Uh, one of the fun bits is just the end of it where she's like, I'll tell him about your newspaper. And Jim goes through the trouble of mm-hmm. correcting her, even after all of that, correcting her, telling her that it's a magazine. Would it, it's not a thing that's happening. It's not a real thing. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And she's just going to forget it anyways. And yet he just he can't not do it. He just has to do it. Rocky is patching up bullet holes in the trailer with little pieces <laughs> of metal, which is the rockiest thing to do. Jim has uh, rented a car. His choices were this giant land yacht or a <laughs> Japanese roller skate. And yes. can you believe it? It's costing him $45 a day to rent this car, which <laughs> seems like a lot. <laughs> it is, yes. Uh, I gotta say, as Jim's bookkeeper, I am sweating. Oh, this is not a good episode for his for his accounts. He has no client. He has no client whatsoever. This is Jim being a rogue, right? Like, this is mm-hmm. Jim witnessing something and he thinks, something's wrong here and I just need to get to the bottom of yeah. it. And nobody wants him to, and that makes him want to more. Right. And yeah. I, I really enjoy that. He gets a call from Lee Yost, who says that he knows Jim had questions from the hospital. And he's kind of seen through this facade of the magazine interview or whatever. But he would be happy to answer any of his questions. Just pick a place. So we we pick a place and Jim is eating some kind of dessert on a patio. (laughs) It's clear to me when he gets that phone call. That he doesn't, he didn't expect the message mm-hmm. to get through. Like that's, uh, yeah. which, which is fun. So we have our first real sit down, literally, as they are sitting down. It looks like they've, they're, they've had their meal and they have coffee and I think it's pie. A little mm-hmm. hard to tell exactly what's on their plate. But uh, yeah, it's the first real convo of Jim and uh, Lee. Um, so this is, so Lee Yost is played by John Considine. Considine, yeah. It seems like he's probably been in, I mean, he's been in lots of things. He was not in any other Rockford uh, files, which is what I was looking for. So this is a wrap on uh, John Considine. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't count if they're only in one. He was in Knight Rider. I, I have a suspicion that this man plays villains in a lot of things. He did write on MacGyver, Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, and Robocop. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. There you go. Um, anyway, he is a very, and this is the whole thing. So I guess here's my, my take on this episode that kind of starts with this scene. Yeah. Which is this episode is not really a mystery. It's more of a character study. And the character is this Lee Yost. This is, this is, um, this is a Columbo episode, right? Uh, yeah, a little bit. We see him do a thing and now we're watching Jim. Yeah. We don't. We don't get all of this guy's uh, machinations in the background. Right. Because we, it, we're a little bit more closely tied to Jim's point of view. Right, right. Um, but it it has the, the verbal sparring. It has the, like, who knows what win, and, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And it even has, uh, we'll get to it later, but it, it definitely has this, like, it's all out on the table now. Mm-hmm. What happens next? Um I'm loving Jim getting buddying up to him in this 
in this scene here, though. This is mm-hmm. yeah. There's a push and pull because it's like in the scenes, Jim seems very straightforward and above board, but then in between his scenes with Yost, he's kind of like, oh yeah, I'm just butting up to him to find out what's going on. And it's a little hard for me to tell, and I think intentionally so, whether he's justifying to himself the time he's spending with this guy. Right. Or if he's really just doing a really good job of kind of compartmentalizing what he's doing. The the moment in the scene that stands out to me is they're, they're talking back and forth and, and Jim's kind of needling him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess this is the thing that reminds me of Columbo the most is that he's, mm-hmm. he's doing this not terribly so and then he's like I don't know I, you're such a relaxed guy you know very cool I would think that a job like yours would be high pressure to the third power well I have a lot of outside interests things that work off the adrenaline I'm a cross country skier and I'm a freak for basketball no kidding me too I think it's my favorite moment in this particular scene because it's just, you keep feeling them drift towards, you know, like, oh, I've got tickets to the game. The Knicks play. No, no, the Lakers play. The Knicks will be there. Feels like, oh, yeah, okay, we're we're going to be buddies. Hold on. I think you're evil. (laughs) Yeah, so Lee, his deal is that he... He's essentially a middleman for don't for for um organ transplant yeah. donors and recipients. So he works out logistics for transplantations, um, and he works with doctors and hospitals to get the right thing to the right person. Um, it's only him and his part-time secretary, but he's actually yeah he has this whole kind of affect. I mean, he's very cool and calm, which is kind of the mm-hmm. part of the deal. But he also has this kind of affect of like. Yeah, I do this thing. I'm pretty good at it, but it's, I could do something else. So and that's kind of covering the fact that it's such a small operation. I think mm-hmm. like he doesn't have staff and stuff. It's just him and and um him him and and Sorrel. I'm sorry, I just remember her saying Sorrel Henderson. That's with one S. Yeah, and like <laughs> like which of those like, would have two S's? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just great comedic line. I, I I don't know why. It just is good. Yeah. Um. He doesn't need the money. He has an army pension check. He says he retired a battalion commander. I think. Mm-hmm. Um. And he also has some like inheritance that's come his way. So it's more the nature of the work and how you know grueling it can be. Mm-hmm. Jim straight up is like, well, I saw you in that operating room. And those you know, the the fingers of that guy were moving and he has the same line. Well, there's a lot of body movement after death. He kind of not laughs it off, but explains it away with the same line that he's heard from the other doctors. Yeah. Uh, Jim asks him about where he got his medical training and it's both army and paramedic training. Mm -hmm. And then this is when he hits him with the, you know, he seemed like a really calm guy. It must be all this pressure. Yeah. Um, I was starting to think I was, I was making notes of all the things he was saying, like army training, paramedic training, cross country skier. It's like, is this another Moriarty? Like, right. So do right. karate. Like, is this going to be, a, but, um, that, that, that stuff doesn't come up again, but, uh, I thought it was kind of funny. I, I don't know. I really, I'm, I've never been in the army. I've never been a paramedic, but this guy is doing corneal surgery. Th- that seems a little above and beyond for yeah, what he's yeah, describing yeah. here. Yeah. It seems. Yeah. Um, he says he's a freak for basketball. Um, and again, I had this mental image of like, oh my God, they're going to go scrimmage like the two of them playing right. basketball, but <laughs> he meant watching basketball. <laughs> yeah, it was a little out of place because the other ones are activities he would do, but this one is just, he enjoys watching. 
he's uh, missing the game tonight, but invite, invites Jim to the to the next game where, yeah, the, the Lakers are playing. The Knicks will just be there. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but then after that, receiving the invitation, Jim then offers to pick up the check for their, their meal, which is great. But then he looks at it and his face falls. <laughs> yes. I made a note of this. I was like, Jim, you have no client. Why are you doing this? He was just being polite, I guess. Yeah. Um, and we end with a, hope I answered all your questions. Yeah, I think so. And then we cut directly to Jim breaking into the Life Extension Foundation office. <laughs> so clearly he has more questions. Yeah. Well, let's take a little break. Uh, we want to make sure that you know where you can follow all of our other projects and interests online. Epi, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can Google Epidiah. I am the only one out there that I know of. Uh, you can go to digathousandholes.com. That's the number a thousand. Or you can go to worlds, plural, without master, singular, dot com and uh, find my work there. How about you, Nathan? My internet home for all things NDP is at ndpdesign.com. You can find all of the links and information for all of my various games, including the Worldwide Wrestling role-playing game, my zines, and uh, podcast projects, of which perhaps there may be more than one. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at ndpaoletta. As always, if you want more information about the podcast, go to 200aday.fireside.fm. And now back to the continuing adventures of Jimbo Rockfish. Jim easily breaks into this office with a credit card in the latch maneuver. And he looks around and immediately we all see that there's just nothing in here. There's nothing in any drawers. Um, there's only the most minimal amount of papers. But then he hears something outside and quickly ruffled, rustles around and grabs some, some papers and pulls the light bulb out of the desk lamp. So when the <laughs> maintenance guy who saw a light under the door or whatever comes in to check, uh, he has a quick... I'm supposed to audit these books by morning, but this bulb burned out. How am I supposed to do this with, uh, you know, without my eyes falling out kind of stuff? And this is this is wonderful. You said this is your favorite little con of the episode. It's just such quick thinking on his part. Like he assessed who is out there. He's like, I need a misdirect. OK, if it's a maintenance guy, maybe I can have him fix something real quick and then present myself as someone who's supposed to be here. And it's just I don't know. It's just something about how he's able to just think on his feet so quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just it, it's just a good one. It's one I'll use at some point when I'm <laughs> in office. Is quickly complicated by this maintenance guy saying that, well, light bulbs, that's the electrician's department. Mm -hmm. And he describes how he's going to have to go to a different closet and dig around and find it and come <laughs> all the way back up. And uh, Jim uh, ends up giving him a five dollar bribe to go ahead and just get a get a light bulb for him why don't you <laughs> there's multiple bribes in this episode they all get a close-up on the handoff so we see that it is exactly one five dollar bill each time yes we see jim oh it was the later one where he turns his back to the guy while he's trying to figure out his money situation it's good on his way out the maintenance guy says that it's one of his favorite offices it's like there's no one in, in here <laughs> oh it's a clue uh, in my notes, I say it's a big store. It's just a bunch of props and facades with no mm -hmm. real stuff going on. But there is one half filing cabinet of files. <laughs> and Jim looks through them real quickly and sees that there's one with Sorrel Henderson's name. And it's a medical file. And we see that she was referred to 
Lee Yost by some other doctor. Um, if there were other details on the file, they went by too too quickly for for me to see them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. We we are told what they are later, so I guess it doesn't matter yeah. too much. But we see that you know she specifically was referred to this doctor from another doctor, which is a little weird considering that she is his secretary. Yes, and Jim looks thoughtful. We cut from thoughtful Jim to sleepy Jim, where he's falling <laughs> asleep with his uh, with a book and his glasses, which is very <laughs> very adorable. But he's suddenly awoken by tire squeals and shouting as our pair of pair of yahoos uh, are are yelling at him and telling him to wake up, hero. <laughs> oh, they're not shooting, at least not yet, but they are doing donuts around his trailer. Uh, they're clearly drinking um, and uh, Jim tumbles out of bed and he, he runs and gets his gun out of the cookie jar while they're yelling at him to, you know, if you go to court against us, you're dead and... <laughs> we have an arraignment on us or something like that. It's like, oh, these guys seem really smart. Um, he tells, he, he shouts at them that he has a gun this time. They better scram. And they take some pot shots at him before taking off. <laughs> I love this. How we just go to the next morning where he's immediately just telling Rocky that he made a complaint to Dennis as soon as they yes. left. <laughs> so we see that they keep on trying to intimidate Jim. And he's just like, I know how this works. Like you're just building up more reason for the cops to take you down. Basically this, this instant instance then puts the earlier one uh, in doubt a little right, bit. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So uh, Jim's theory of the earlier one is he isn't sure if it's them or if it's Yost. And now the way they behave at this one makes it feel like the earlier one might've been Yost. Cause there was no, there was no yelling. There was no driving. It was just, well, I mean, we heard some tires, but there was just the sudden, yeah. sudden shot. Yeah. Um, but Jim is uh, dressing up all nice <laughs> as Yost has invited him to brunch. And Rocky is just so happy that they're getting to be good friends. He just wants his boy to have a friend. Yeah, that's all. But Jim explains that uh, Lee is nice enough on the surface, uh, but there's something off that he's trying to figure out. And then I kind of like this. So this settles, I guess, the conspiracy part from earlier where he says that he thought he was getting into some someone who was like jumping into premature organ donations or something mm-hmm. like that. But it's not possible with how strict the system is. And he explains how like there's all these safeguards and checks and balances in the donation system to keep someone from doing what he thought Yost was doing, which is just like, right. I don't know, hijacking someone's body before they were dead. Right. Essentially. Um, so that's not what's going on, but something is going on. <laughs> Everyone else who does this kind of thing is a, is a nonprofit and has like more staff and bigger offices. Uh, they're integrated with the system in a more obvious way. And Yost mm-hmm. is different. Um, and yeah, he specifically says he's wondering if he's the first one who tried to kill him. Uh, I think he says something about like, I wonder why he had a file or something. And Rocky goes, I am standing here just hoping that my son did not break into that good man's office. How do I look? How do you look fine? This is Really good Rocky lines in this. Yeah. Uh, there's also the, you can't start off being friends by investigating them. Yeah, Jim gets all dressed up and goes to this big brunch party um, where we get a little bit of Jim talking to other guests about Lee. And they kind of have the same read, which is like, no one really likes him, but they do yeah. find value in being close to him. 
he seems too smooth, but something is missing. And so th- we're getting this theme hit over and over now about like something's off with him, something's missing. And this gets into more of the character portrait where now it's like thinking about how he's been presented so far. What are we being told versus what we've seen on the screen? Like, you know, he is very calm, very chill. It's interesting. It's, so I start paying attention to him more as a yeah, as a screen presence. Um. Thoral brings Jim a plate of something, and so in their first encounter, uh, she, your time is my time, and my time is your time. Right. I have a wonderful spot where we can go and talk. Your time is my time, my time is your time. Huh? Yeah, you remember the lyric? No. My time, your time. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's cute. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Very specifically giving us that picture of her, like... Not really being, like, present, I think, in conversations. <laughs> they only have one plate, but she's eating the eggs off of his plate, and in fact says, it always looks better on someone else's plate. <laughs> she accidentally quotes some other song lyrics, and when Jim is like, oh, Sonny, Sonny and Cher, she's like, what? Uh, like, <laughs> Jim is picking up on, on references she's making by accident, and she doesn't get it. Um, but she's happy that he's seeing more of Lee. Lee needs more friends. Um, yeah. And she has a good story for him for his magazine article. She had trouble getting a job after graduating from business school. She's not good at tests. And she specifically says something like, I'm not, I'm not dumb or anything. I'm just not good at tests. They stress me out. Something like yeah, that. They bum her out or yeah, yeah they yeah, bum something. her out. Yeah. Uh, but Lee liked her attitude and gave her the job anyway, even though she didn't do great on the test. But then two days after she started, she got really sick and went to the hospital. But he kept her job for her and paid for everything. And she was able to just, you know, pick it back up when she got out. He's a, he's a good man. And she's always appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Jim asks, says that she must be so busy with all the legal stuff and paperwork. She says that it's funny, but Lee, he likes to do all this stuff. He says, I'll do it myself. He's just like the commercial. I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. <laughs> I assume this is a commercial that people at the time would have known. I'm not familiar with this commercial. Yeah, I think I, but I get the point from the, the context. Um, Jim excuses himself to talk to Lee, but really he's just slipping into the house to take a look around. Um, he does find some kind of medical looking equipment in a closet that seems a little out of place. Uh, and then notices that there is a, I think it looks like, and then is later confirmed to be a bronze star that is leveling out a chest of drawers, which is an odd thing to do if you're a military person. And then he runs into Lee leaving the bathroom, and he has a greasy towel that he's cleaning his hands with. And he says something like, oh, there's a there's a dead battery in a car blocking the blocking the drive, just dealing with it or something. But you better, better make sure you join us for dessert. It's chocolate mousse cake. <laughs> We follow Jim as he gets on the road in his rental yacht. And then the camera shows us that a hose has been run from his exhaust into the cabin of the car. And we get our little sequence from the preview montage of Jim getting woozy. And he's he's swerving all over the road and fading in and out. And his feet are falling off the pedals. And he finally pushes the door open and just rolls out of the car before it goes off, off the road, over the edge down a hillside flips over and explodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a couple things about this. Number one, I, because of the opening montage, I was expecting this scene. Mm-hmm. I was expecting Jim to be drugged. Mm-hmm. I was watching the party closely. I was noting how she was eating off his plate, but he barely touched anything. And in fact, he did the whole deal about going up to the buffet. Like, I'm going to get more food. He goes up to the buffet, just leaves his full plate right there at the buffet, and then goes and does his snooping about. 
And then there was the whole bit about the, the dessert, the chocolate mousse thing. And I kept thinking, when did he get poisoned? And then we see this tube and I was like, oh, and then like the just moments before we saw uh, Lee come in, wiping his hands from grease or whatever, he'd been working on a car or whatever. Um, so I was like, all of that was like moments of like, what, when is this going to, oh, or what did, oh, you know, like the, mm-hmm. um, having like a little mystery in my head and then having it revealed right away. And then I get done with all that and the car blows up and I think to myself, well, there goes all the evidence. Mm-hmm. And as we'll find out, mm-hmm. no, uh, <laughs> in a refreshing change of pace. <laughs> Yeah, we go to uh, another hospital bed where Jim is, uh, he, he inhaled carbon monoxide fumes, but he's okay now. Mm-hmm. Dennis, Lee, and Sorrel are all there. And so Jim is kind of telling Dennis what happened and watching Lee. He says that his car was okay when he got to the place for brunch, but someone tampered with it. Um, it doesn't seem to be the style of the two, the, the, the two yahoos, right? Mm-hmm. They're more... Uh, shooting guns not subtly you know engineering poisons and then he does finally confront lee directly he's like you were out you know you were outside while my car was there i saw your hands you know dirty with with grease um and lee denies it of course whatever happened to you scrambled your brains a little now i think this just brought it out into the open i've been watching you yost just like you've been watching me i thought we were friends Playing it right to the wall, huh? There's this great piece of physical business where Lee leaves. Sorrel is watching Jim give his kind of last little thing. So her back's to the door, and she just goes, how can you be so wrong about someone? And she mm-hmm. turns to leave, but the door is already closed behind Lee, so she almost bounces off of it. Yes. And, like, opens it and, and storms out after him. And that's a great little moment, and we'll get back to it in a second. Dennis thinks that Lee is going to leave him alone now, now that everything's out in the open. Mm-hmm. But Jim, again, reiterates that, I don't know, this guy's different. And then he has some, some final comments about how he's had two pileups in two days, but, but his, thankfully his firebird is coming back tomorrow. <laughs> We've been saying the whole episode going, where's the firebird? Right. Apparently gone, <laughs> but it's coming back tomorrow. <laughs> and he wonders if he should have it packed in a rubber crate. I really love that Dennis is just on board with this particular theory that Rockford has about Yost, mm. right? You expect Dennis to be like, he's a respectable doctor, but instead he's like, <laughs> Dennis even like presents the evidence of the pipe. Yeah. He says that they did find some like melted exhaust like yeah. pipe that, that could have been used in the manner that Jim described. Yeah. So he's like, okay, so this guy is definitely doing this thing, but, uh, steer clear of him or whatever but it's 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 very refreshing to have dennis both for him and the lumps <laughs> be on uh rockford's side like now that he knows that we know that he's up to something like we can't mm-hmm. arrest him we don't have any evidence to like actually prosecute him but i believe you that he's been doing something but now yes. now he'll stop and and jim's like he's not gonna stop yeah <laughs> um so this little door thing I don't think it was a accident that they just kept. I think it was a staged moment um, mm-hmm. for these characters because we're now going to get into kind of like finding out the backstory of this guy, Lee. He's he, We're going to get a, a portrait of a guy who is not well. Yes. Uh, I mean, he, he's basically, he's a sociopath. Mm-hmm. That's the portrait that we're going to get of him going forward very, uh, very, very specifically. And this is the, the thing with the door is almost a moment that, that, that kind of like nods to that. 
Because like, so he's, you know, he's with someone. They're going to leave together. Right. He opens the door to leave and it would never occur to him to wait until the other person is ready. You know, like, yeah, he, he just leaves. It does not occur to him to wait for the other person. Hold the door open. Hold the or door anything. open yeah. or anything. He's just out and he just assumes they'll be there or they won't. Who cares? Right. Yeah. Um, and then it is also emphasizing Sorrel as this kind of ditz, like. Right. How, how can you be so wrong about a person? And then. Right. Right. Is immediately shown that she doesn't know anything about this person. Right. Uh, or her faith is, is not well placed. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good, it's a good use of like blocking to tell us a little bit about these two characters in their own special way <laughs> uh, that I don't know, just stuck out to me in, in retrospect is like, yeah, that was really good. It was really slick. It was smooth. So Jim, Jim is now trying really on the case. Uh, he's tracked down some relatives of Yost. He, he saw their address on a package in his office. turns out that so this is like a country road and we see some cows like this is, you know, farm, farm yeah. country. Later, I think he says they're up in Oxnard, which I always appreciate. Good old Oxnard reference. <laughs> yes. So this is Lee's aunt and her husband. The man says that, uh, you know, Lee was, was like, you know, your your side's people. And he leaves the room for them to talk. And she doesn't really have anything to say. So Jim's claiming to be an army buddy. And he's like trying to get in touch with with Lee after all these years. And uh, she says something like, I don't think he's going to call. But you can leave your name if you want. <laughs> the, the actress is doing a wonderful job of showing a woman who is absolutely terrified of the situation. Mm-hmm. It, it's very unsettling to watch her because normally people... They either are charmed by Jim mm-hmm. or they're annoyed or angered by Jim. Right. But they're rarely in this situation where she just she's just wide eyed shell shocked. So this scene is really where stuff gets to get or this episode really really starts to get eerie, I think. Yeah. And part of that is the setting and part of that is the, the information that we learn. But yeah, she's terrified. Uh, the guy kind of appears at the window and like motions for Jim to come join him. He kind of walks with Jim over the bar and he's kind of asking a question but before he can finish it he grabs jim and pulls him into the barn and holds a scythe to his neck it's amazing <laughs> game's over mister i looked in your car now give me straight answers um so he knew that he couldn't have been an army friend of lee's because lee doesn't have any friends so he tipped yeah. his hand with that story and jim tells him the truth he got their name off a package he's just trying to find out more about this guy's background He's got this great line where he's like, you could have saved your tricks, mister. Yeah. <laughs> like, I hate him. <laughs> I would have told you anything. But yeah, so he says that the, the 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 problem with Lee, even growing up, even as a kid, is he never he never had any conscience. And it was a relief when the army, like, took him. When he, like, you know, the kind of, like, foundational story here. So Lee never liked it out there in the country. He didn't like how it smelled or whatever. He always wanted to move. And his mom told him that they'd move when the house burned down. Then the next day it did. His mom died in that fire. Lee was nine years old. And the way he said that was like, you know, I, I don't know. The, I didn't write down the exact thing, but it was like, and that was when he was nine. Like, this is the beginning of his sins. Yeah. So I think this is the scene where I was like, oh, this isn't going to be about like Jim busting some kind of like organ racket. This right. is about Jim's dealing with this one particular guy. <laughs> So it really kind of narrowed down the focus for me um, in a way that I had to kind of adjust what I thought the episode was going to be for the rest of it. I think you're right. Like this is where throughout the episode, we were aimed at this moment. You know, we kept 
kind of moving towards this, moving towards this. Like I said before, in the beginning, it felt like a conspiracy with gaslighting and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, but I agree. Like, this is the moment we see this woman on this couch and how terrified she is. Then we start hearing the terrifying tales of what this guy was like. And now we've gone from some sort of organized, not organized crime, the mob, but organized criminal endeavor mm-hmm. to this is this is a serial killer. This is a um, and this is where it really starts to slide towards the horror genre in interesting ways. Um, yeah. And if there's more stuff that is horror, e definitely shout, shout it out. I didn't think that the rusty scythe was a nice little. No, it was good. I, like this, my my note for that was simply a scythe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like there's obviously horror tropes, like going out into the farm, and then uh, just like the isolation that these people probably have. But this is more like this is like a Hannibal Lecter kind of thing. This is a person that despised where he came from. Um, yeah, it's like a psychological thriller. At yeah, this point. yeah. It's it's more when we get towards the end when we start putting sorrel in danger mm-hmm. and of course the just the horrifying premise right here that this is someone that uh, cherry picks people to to orchestrate their deaths so that their organs can be harvested for money which I think we're almost at spoilers <laughs> well our next scene is in fact at the VA hospital so a detail from that was that the reason that he had a package from those relatives in his office is because they were keeping his mail for him while he was in the VA hospital after Mm -hmm. leaving the the service. Um, Then they sent it back to him, I guess. So Jim goes to the VA hospital and my note is Jim is trying to violate HIPAA, which (laughs) I don't think existed at the time. Um, But yeah, he's telling this doctor like, you know, I'm from this service and I just need to get these records. And the doctor's like, our patients are strictly anonymous. I cannot give you those without a court order and just, leaves (laughs) which is like you know what good people shouldn't just be giving jim rockford random medical files i mean i like jim and all but yeah this the system the system works in this case um however he was overheard by uh a guy um who pulls him aside into a supply closet guy and wants to talk to him about yost um he's the shaver he shows jim that he has a straight razor so okay we just have him (laughs) threatened with the scythe and then the way he gets him into a closet and then shows him the straight razor is very that's very horror movie right like that's Mm. but we know that jim's not gonna get his throat slit We, we think we know yeah um but yeah he's the shaver for those who can't do it themselves he he knows Yost. He remembers the last time he saw him, which is like a specific date in 1976. And he could use some cash. Mm-hmm. So we get our second bribe where Jim turns around and tries to figure out exactly how much he's willing to part with, which is, is very good. And we see that he offers him another $5 bill. You're kidding. Things really that tough out there? They're that tough. <laughs> uh, I mean, Jim's not getting paid, so it makes sense. So what this guy has to say is that Lee Yost was uh, faking having a traumatic anxiety disorder. He was running an ambulance service for the army and there was a fire and some people died in that fire. This was like a, a, a cover for him while the investigation was going or something. This is that's kind of. Yeah. Um, but that's why he was at the VA hospital. 
But he says he knew he knew he was faking because people with his real condition, they don't feel anxiety. They just have to learn the symptoms. Yeah. Uh, they keep changing the name. Sociopathic personality, moral insanity. It's all the same. He's uh, he, he has no morals and no compassion. I think we would say sociopath. Yeah, I don't know what the current terminology is or uh, if it's like what they're depicting here is legit. Like that, all of that's outside my wheelhouse. Yeah, same. But I, you know, you you get what he's saying. Yeah, and he does point out that he was a natural in the army once he learned how to cover for you know his his deal. Um, he helped out with surgeries. He was a natural. And then Jim asks, "What did he do in the army? Psychological warfare? How about that?" Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it's kind of a little claustrophobic scene. I feel like this guy's kind of hamming it up a little bit, like the actors, like. He's not as naturalistic as some of the other yeah. uh, roles in this particular episode. Um, but it's, you know, we're, we're getting this information and it's important for us to hear. So uh, it's 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 weird because I'm like, at this point in the episode, I feel a little weird being like, this was kind of funny because it's the natural amount of humor in a Rockford Files episode is still it's trended down a little bit from the beginning, but it's still here. But it yeah. feels a little weird tonally because I'm kind of on edge, like seeing where this is all going to go. There's physical bits going on here, like there's the hunt for the match. Oh like yeah, he's trying to smoke a cigarette, and and I honestly, like, I wrote down that that was happening, and then I don't know the resolution. I don't. Yeah, it was like Jim. Jim looked for a match and didn't find one. Yeah, and then they he just gave up and put the cigarette back in his pocket. I think. And then there's the bit where when he leaves. I think he leaves the light on and then Jim turns it off before he yeah, leaves. But there's like a little like beat there where Jim's like, wait, I'm in this. Why am I in this closet? What's going on? Like, so there is like some sort of gag going mm. on there, but yeah, it definitely has like these, these trappings of, of like the rise in danger here. You're not dealing with somebody who's motivated the same way you're used to dealing with mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Yeah. We have a um, final scene with Dennis in a, in his office. Um, yeah, where Dennis is ha- is is having Billings bring him some aspirin because he has such a headache, which is always great. This is another uh, five years later because <laughs> now Dennis has an office. He's not out on the mm. the floor with everyone else, and um, and we get the uh, we get the line that his two Yahoo buddies are being held somewhere on a hit and run charge. So. Thankfully, they are out of the picture. We no longer need to worry about yeah. them for the duration of this episode. Jim tells Dennis about the ambulance service. Uh, there was It was under some kind of investigation and all the records burned in that fire. So they're never able to prove anything. Arson was suspected, but there was no evidence of arson. Um, so like, there's all these kind of suspicious things that fit this profile, but there's no proof of anything. And then Jim says that he looked at the accident report on the guy that he saw Yost operating on who died mm-hmm. in a motorcycle accident. He says that could have been a setup. He was alone when he was hit. He has a rare blood type and an unusual tissue match. There's an anonymous phone call to the hospital to, you know, get the ambulance. And there's a release form for his parents wait, like ready as soon as they got there. In fact, his files, such as they are, are full of people with rare blood types and unusual tissue matches. And as you know, uh, (laughs) Wealthy people are not willing to wait for anything. Yes. Jim theorizes that Yo's stories about his income don't really cover his lifestyle. He checked it out and he was only a sergeant in the army. He wasn't Mm -hmm. like a battalion commander or whatever. So it's not like he has that income like he claimed. And Dennis is doing his his standard dubious Dennis bit. And nobody's noticed until now. Jim says just an old guy up in Oxnard and 
then we go into the thing with the someone he met at the VA hospital, and we get the bit from the preview montage where you know doctor, resident, inmate, yeah. etc. Um, Jim waits around at the foundation office till he can talk to Sorrel, and he wants to tell her, you know, hey, I think this is what's going on. Uh, that Lee had her tissue typed while she was in the hospital with her illness. Uh, and she also has a rare blood type. And so he has this file on her, like all the other files have these same attributes. So he thinks that's why he hired her to keep her around and just in case he, you know, has an order. Right. <laughs> You're saying that he's kept me here because I'm not bright enough to notice anything wrong. Too trusting. I don't believe you. Oh, sorrow. So she doesn't know what to think. Um, she says she's going home. And Jim says, You're sure? She goes, yeah, what do you think? Then we cut to Sorrel going to Yost's house. Yeah. Oh, no, Sorrel. So here we are, full on horror movie, mm-hmm. right? It's dark. Yeah. Sorrel's coming to Yost. Uh, does, she doesn't know what to do after hearing these things that Jim was saying. Yost wants to know what else he told her. And we cut back and forth between them and Jim, who's followed in the Firebird. Mm-hmm. And I have a note, Firebird's back, baby. <laughs> uh, this is neither here nor there. But did Jim follow her or was he his next stop? Oh, at Lee's house is probably the second one because he kind of looks at her car like, hmm. Yeah, that's what I was wondering too. Yeah. Also, Lee's house is stunning. Yeah, it's a it, it's a mid century modern master masterpiece. Yeah, it's it has all the great yeah all the cantilevers and low ceilings and sunken living room sunken or, living room. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Um, so we see Jim kind of like slipping in. Uh, back and forth as we go back with their conversation we see lee drawing a syringe of something while sorrel's pouring drinks mm-hmm. she's upset and confused uh, jim comes in through the front door with his credit card trick yost <laughs> is uh standing behind sorrel as she throws back her drink and as she turns he says like see what loose talk can do when he raises a syringe <laughs> and she starts screaming specifically screaming no i hate shots yes <laughs> but jim is there just in time he grabs a pillow from the couch oh yes we have a brief battle where he blocks a syringe and then gives Zeus a good punch across the face and they fall into the couch jim triumphant syringe versus couch cushion like i said this is a scene that all of my horror movie instincts were telling me it was going to go the the way it clearly wasn't going to go right like the, <laughs> uh-huh. um and one of them is just how viscerally terrifying fighting off a syringe with a couch cushion is like it makes sense it's a thing that they get you can get the syringe caught in and then you know toss aside or it was all oh, makes sense but like in a horror movie that syringe goes through the couch cushion. <laughs> uh-huh. And you would play with that tension. So there's a lot of stuff happened here that just felt very much like, oh no, but it, it's all right. It's Jim. Jim's here. <laughs> Whatever tension remains, I think, is immediately kind of deflated with, with oh, some yes. humor where he's telling Sorrel to call the police and ask for Becker. What's the phone number? Just ask the operator. Uh, how do you spell the lieutenant's name? Here. I could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could have. I was trying to get you to do it. <laughs> it's very, very uh, apropos, you know, 
she's not necessarily a good secretary, but we're about to learn mm-hmm. that she has other career opportunities. Mm. Or, sorry, not opportunities. Ambitions. Ambitions. Thank you. Yes. We go to uh, our final look at Walter Brook and his eyebrows. <laughs> yes. Checking Jim out, telling him that his knee should be okay in a few days. There's been an ongoing sub-theme of Jim's knee in this yeah. uh, episode. It, it was locked in the original accident, and he couldn't bend it. He's been kind of limping around as he runs. Um, he does apologize to Jim for being so like rude with him and dismissive mm-hmm. of his concerns. But he, I think he says for Jim and for us as audience, he knows for a fact that that, that person was dead. Yes. He was definitely yeah. dead before Yost did that surgery. So he wasn't operated on while alive. It was bad for other reasons, but not for that particular reason. Yeah. The initial horror that sent Jim on this investigation turns out not to be true, but also true. But the horror of Yost setting him up to be hit yeah. by a car so that he could harvest his cornea, that appears to have actually been what happened. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, letting people off the hook here. And also, like, there's a very important bit here where... Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of restoring trust in the medical profession. Yeah, here, exactly. Right? Uh, the doctor can't believe it about Yost, and Jim says, well, he's a one-in-a-million case. Right. He never should have been let out of the VA psychiatric hospital. Um, you know, how do you look out for that kind of thing, right? Uh, Sorrel pops up. Uh, she excitedly asks, how did it go? Um, Rocky, his faith has been shaken. And he talks, and he's like, you know, I don't know if I trust the yeah, know, yeah. trust the doctors with my organs. My liver's been doing well for me so far. Like my my heart beats once has beat once a second my entire life. Or you know, <laughs> he, he has all he has good things to say about all of his organs. And then uh, Doctor Eyebrows, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Doctor Bosca is the character. Yeah. Doctor Bosca says that. Uh, well, we do like to keep our donors under a certain age limit. <laughs> I mean, no offense, but we'd be happy to take anything your son wants to give. Jim says that, uh, you know, well, you can have it all. I think it's great work that you're doing here. So yeah, Jim, Jim Rockford as our audience surrogate telling us it's okay. We can trust real doctors with our organs. We can't, you can't do to organ doning what you did to, uh, in, invoking the fifth amendment, the grand jury. Yeah. 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 The grand jury test. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, they'll amend his license to say he's a donor and they exchange hearty thank yous. And then we go to our final little scene. Jim, Rocky and Sorrel walking down the pier. <laughs> Rocky is still grumpy about them not wanting his kidneys. I ain't heard of such a thing. An age <laughs> limit on kidneys. I <laughs> <laughs> got me as good a liver as any any liver in the country. Sorrel's out of a job, but now she can get into something she really wants. Like an astronaut. I want to look at the stars. Did she say astronaut? Because I thought like she called them astronomers. Like an astronomer. Oh, maybe she did. And then she says, I wonder if there's life in the stars. Like on Mars. And Jim <laughs> says, well, that's a planet, not a star. <laughs> and then, oh, look, pelicans. And we have a close-up on seagulls. And so we end on Jim giving her an indulgent but, but, but friendly look as she yeah. smiles at the birds. Freeze frame. End of episode. End of season five. Tucked in there, there's another good Rocky line where he's like, I'd like to see that Dr. Bosco, whatever his name, i like to see his kidneys. I bet they ain't no better than mine. Some things improve with age. It's fun. The ending was like, like okay, okay, let's pull out of this bummer. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, let's restore some normalcy here. Sorrel's going to be fine. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. 
before we get into our our wrap up uh about the the knee thing um we we've talked about this before but not for a while um so this is probably a good time to yet again celebrate james garner for doing all of his own practical oh yes (laughs) stunts and everything um but there's there's a little bit of a write-up about this in uh 30 years of the rockford files um there's a there's a stat somewhere about how many knee surgeries he had because he had a injured knee from his days playing football and then he basically got new knee surgeries between some seasons i don't think it was every season but um he definitely had one between seasons two and three uh Garner once gave a particularly memorable litany of his injuries when he appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson in 1986. Mm-hmm. I'm always in pain, John, the actor said. With all the injuries I've had, I'm always in pain. I've got nine incisions on my knee. I've broken 12 ribs at a time, about 16 or 17 altogether. I've broken bone on my spine. I've broken my tailbone. I've broken every major ligament and bone. Other than that, hey, I'm in good shape. <laughs> but yeah, this so, you know, the knee thing was in the text of multiple episodes. You know, we see him limping around a lot and sometimes it's part of the, you know, there's a, there's an in, in episode reason. Uh, this also was supposed to be the end of the series. This was supposed to be the final season. Oh, so this would have wow. been the episode, the final episode of the final season. That would have been weird. <laughs> right. The, the, the summer that follows is where the studio shows Jim their books that says that the Rockford Files still hasn't made any money. Oh, yeah. Garner wanted to be done after five seasons, and then the studio had an option to do a sixth season, and they did because they were like, you still haven't made any money. And this is kind of the root of what ended up causing the big split with Garner and Universal and the lawsuit yeah. later and um, all that stuff. But uh, But part of why he wanted to end after the season was because he was so broken down, and part of yeah. why there's only half a season of the sixth season is because he got so physically, you know, damaged that he could not continue filming. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's all a bummer, but I think is some interesting context for yeah. If this was the last, th- so this wasn't the last shot episode, but it was the last aired episode of the season. And like, what a weird way to go out if that was your last episode of the entire series. Just to make sure I got this right, this was. It's not even that like this could have been the last episode because they would have. They, they may have canceled it. This is what they were planning to have as the last episode. Is that? I'm I'm not in a position to know whether they were like, all right, we're all done. And then Universal was like, no, you have to come back. Or if it was like, all right, we're done with the season. We'll see what happens with our next year. You know, and then yeah. they came back. But either way, you'd think there's an element of like, this could be our last episode of our last season. But like, <sighs> I don't know who decides what order. You know, I guess the producers decide oh, right, what order right. to put them in. Um, and the, the episode immediately prior was um never send a boy king to do a man's job and i kind of feel like if you had those in the can wouldn't you put that one last yeah (laughs) like like that is a note to go out on i'm uh, i'm looking at the season now uh trying i mean it's it's really i mean they're all fun seasons but like yeah uh, but then also in contrast with our last episode, Roundabout, which was the last episode of season one, mm-hmm. also with Jesse Wells. I think as we talked about there, that ended up being a really fun season ender because it had such a memorable climax with that like foot race through Hoover Dam and like, mm-hmm. here's a big fun thing. See you next year. And this this episode, I mean, there's a lot about it to like, but it does 
feel kind of like a middling episode to me. Yeah, well, there's a certain realm where it's like, okay, uh, I, I'm looking through the other episodes of this season. Um, the Man Who Saw the Alligators is in this season. Yeah, it's a strong season. That would have been a, such an ender. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to bring back a villain. from. A that would have been a real dramatic ending, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's it, it's an interesting choice to end it on but it's it's also it might not even be a choice uh sure it could have been driven by other concerns like yeah i don't know how you schedule a season of tv especially in this era sorry the the second episode is rosendahl and gilders gilda stern are dead there's a lot of real like strong guest star episodes memorable episodes this one i think i will remember this one because of that kind of turn to being more of a character study yeah. thriller and less of a mystery investigation. But this probably isn't going to be on like a top 10 list of mine. Uh, I mean, I would agree. I really enjoyed this episode. I, it, yeah. You know, when you think about like, okay, how many stars are we going to rate it or whatever? Mm-hmm. I, that stuff I can't. It's either at the top or at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle, it's like, I can't gradiate. Yeah, like if I was doing a if I was doing a ranking where it's like rank all the episodes. Yeah. I wouldn't put it low in a vacuum, but most other episodes I think of I'm like, yeah, I probably put it under that one. Yeah, I probably put it under that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um yeah, I mean that's part of the reason why the brackets are fun. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised by the result we uh, I get by filling out my own bracket. But um yeah, I certainly would not have picked it to be the ending, but also if I had done a show for 5 years and I was getting tired of doing the show. <laughs> uh, I also w- might have just been like, yeah, okay, that's fine. That's a fine. That's a okay one to end it on. It's, mm-hmm. it's as good as any of the others. When you're in it, I don't know if you can tell if you have right. yeah. an episode like, uh, like the man who saw the alligators. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if while you're doing it, you think to yourself, this is, this is one that's going to, this is one that the podcasts will talk about. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely see how it's kind of a departure in terms of the story with it not being a big mystery and it being more about this almost horror movie-ish un- unveiling. Yeah. It's not a big cast ca- uh, episode. It's a pretty small cast episode. Um, they do blow up a car. Yeah, they went through the trouble of blowing up a car. Which seems a little out of scale, actually, with the rest of the episode. <laughs> uh, they left the truck as a wreck. Not a wreck, but like mm-hmm. they, they beat up the Rocky's truck. Yep. No, I mean, like, it's also weird in that it does Like, okay, so when in season six, they do the... Uh, Hawaiian one, mm-hmm. which is the last one they filmed. Is that? I don't think it's the last one they filmed, but it was. They uh, James Garner insisted that they bring the entire crew to Hawaii for it. Yeah. Um. So it was kind of like a party, like atmosphere. That I see and understand is like, like even like even if that one is as far as episodes go, well, you know. Yeah, it was like it was okay, like, but. Yeah, it's like oh oh Dennis Becker's in Hawaii too. Oh, Angel, like, it had a yeah. fun. It it had a good vibe. Fun. Yeah, yeah. It's a the victory lap, right? Like uh, this isn't a victory lap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, yeah. Uh, thinking of all the things you could possibly do with a final episode, which isn't to say that this was you know a bad choice or anything. There's nothing wrong with this episode, but my overall takeaway of it is a little bit. And maybe it's just because of my current headspace, but like it's a bit of a bummer <laughs> and. If I'm going to watch 
an episode of the Rockford Files, I probably would pick a different one. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with this one. Right, right. But I feel like I just there isn't anything in it to really recommend it over another given episode to me. Even Jesse Wells, like, I mean, she's her character's super fun. I don't really love the like trope. Right. She's kind of like, I'm not very smart. This did seem my deal. Yeah. Um, she's a um part of what's going on there is that she's a, a lamb and her sheepdog is a wolf. Yeah, yeah. She's a naive Yeah, and that's not great. I will say I really enjoyed this episode, but I think it specifically pushed buttons that I like Obviously, we've uh, talked about like the sort of whether or not they're intentional nods to horror. It definitely sits in that realm. But also, I love a story where somebody like Jim uh, is just incidentally involved in something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they get a little drawn in. And then the resistance they get is what pulls them in further. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a like a ton of examples of that. That's a very it's a noir trope that happens. Mm -hmm all the time and it's um and this one i just feels really really right about that like is just in like witnessing what he witnessed and being like wait a minute i need to know what's true and then because somebody is like no no you don't need to worry about this he's like hmm that makes me worry about right this. right i almost wonder if it would have been stronger for me if it was like an out-of-town episode so there's a right. little more like even more kind of isolation that yeah, you had to deal yeah. with um yeah, maybe, maybe not. Like, if it was a little more, more noir-y. Right. I mean, I'd probably feel the vibe a little bit more. Yeah. This one was just on the edge of unsettling, which is not yeah. fun for me. <laughs> you've listened to our plus, our previous Plus Expenses and we talked about horror movies. Yes. <laughs> there's there's a certain line that horror, the horror genre can cross where I'm just like, this is not fun for me. Yeah. Um, again, this is not a horror episode. It's not like... Yeah, I think we're, we're putting a lot of emphasis on that because I'm sitting on this side of the uh, the podcast here. <laughs> we don't need to be doing that. We don't. But but yeah, if it was like a little more stylized and a little less creepy, I'd probably like it more. But it's not stylized. And it's very <laughs> creepy, so it's not really <laughs> doing it for me. But, you know, that's just a... Um, you know, things are going to hit different. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I would never recommend that someone not watch this episode because it's definitely watchable and like moves along. Definitely has a has some reveals that you get to kind of see them coming right as they crest, which is always, you know, the pacing's good. Um, all that stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah, a more interesting episode than a fun one for me. <laughs> How about that? Sounds good. All right. Though this is the end of season five, it is not, in fact, the end of our show. No. <laughs> We'll go adventuring through what the episodes we have remaining. We still have a lot of them. Um, so we'll, we'll see what we turn up next. Is this the end of season five, but specifically the start of our season six? Um, I guess so. Okay. This will be the first episode of 2022. And we started in January of 2017. Yes. I think we technically started in December of 2016, but... No, we started recording in December. Our first episode was December 23rd, 2016. Okay. That's when we dropped our first three episodes. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So we bridged December into January. So if we count that as our prelude and mm-hmm. our season started in 2017. So 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. Yes. So this would be the start of our sixth season if we're counting it by year. Yes. Yes. Well, okay. Well, happy 60s. Happy sixth season. 
Thanks for the thanks for coming with us down this little trip to memory lane. Yeah. But uh yeah, as I said, we have plenty more to do still, so we will search out another episode and be back next time to talk about another episode of the Rockford Files. Blam 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 bl